0: CHAPTER X of The Adventures of Ferdinand Count Fathom by Tobias Smollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Under this secure cover, Teresa levied contributions upon her mistress with great success. Some trinket was missing every day. The young lady's patience began to fail. The faithful attendant was overwhelmed with consternation, and, with the appearance of extreme chagrin, demanded her dismission, affirming that these things were certainly affected by some person in the family, with a view of murdering her precious reputation. Miss Melville, not without difficulty, quieted her vexation with assurances of inviolable confidence and esteem, until a pair of diamond earrings vanished, when Teresa could no longer keep her affliction within bounds. Indeed, this was an event of more consequence than all the rest which had happened for the jewels were valued at five hundred florins. Mademoiselle was accordingly alarmed to such a degree that she made her mother acquainted with her loss, and that good lady, who was an excellent economist, did not fail to give indications of extraordinary concern. She asked if her daughter had reason to suspect any individual in the family, and if she was perfectly confident of her own woman's integrity. Upon which Mademoiselle with many encomiums on the fidelity and attachment of Teresa, recounted the adventure of the chambermaid, who immediately underwent a strict inquiry, and was even committed to prison, on the strength of her former misdemeanour. Our adventurer's mate insisted upon undergoing the same trial with the rest of the domestics, and, as usual, comprehended Fathom in her insinuations, while he seconded the proposal, and privately counselled the old lady to introduce Teresa to the magistrate of the place, by these preconcerted recriminations they escaped all suspicion of collusion after a fruitless inquiry the prisoner was discharged from her confinement and turned out of the service of the count in whose private opinion the character of no person suffered so much as that of his own son whom he suspected of having embezzled the jewels for the use of a certain inamorata who at that time was said to have captivated his affections the old gentleman felt upon this occasion all that internal anguish which a man of honour may be supposed to suffer, on account of a son's degeneracy, and, without divulging his sentiments, or even hinting his suspicions to the youth himself, determined to detach him at once from such dangerous connections, by sending him forthwith to Vienna, on pretense of finishing his exercises at the academy, and ushering him into acquaintance with the great world." though he would not be thought by the young gentleman himself to harbour the least doubt of his morals, he did not scruple to unbosom himself on that subject to Ferdinand, whose sagacity and virtue he held in great veneration. This indulgent patron expressed himself in the most pathetic terms on the untoward disposition of his son. He told Fathom that he should accompany Ronaldo—that was the youth's name—not only as a companion, but as a preceptor and pattern conjured him to assist his tutor in superintending his conduct, and to reinforce the governor's precepts by his own example, to inculcate upon him the most delicate punctilios of honour, and decoy him into extravagance, rather than leave the least illiberal sentiment in his heart. Our crafty adventurer, with demonstrations of the utmost sensibility, acknowledged the great goodness of the Count in reposing such confidence in his integrity, which, as he observed, none but the worst of villains could abuse, and fervently wished that he might no longer exist, than he should continue to remember and resent the obligations he owed to his kind benefactor. While preparations were making for their departure, our hero held a council with his associate, whom he enriched with many sage instructions, touching her future operations. He, at the same time, disburdened her of all or the greatest part of the spoils she had won, and after having received diverse marks of bounty from the count and his lady, together with a purse from his young mistress, he set out for Vienna in the eighteenth year of his age, with Rinaldo and his governor, who were provided with letters of recommendation to some of the count's friends belonging to the imperial court. Such a favorable introduction could not fail of being advantageous to a youth of Ferdinand's specious accomplishments, for he was considered as the young count's companion admitted to his parties, and included in all the entertainments to which Rinaldo was invited. He soon distinguished himself by his activity and address in the course of those exercises that were taught at the academy of which he was a pupil. His manners were so engaging as to attract the acquaintance of his fellow students, and his conversation being sprightly and inoffensive, grew into very great request. In a word, he and the young count, formed a remarkable contrast which, in the eye of the world, redounded to his advantage. They were certainly, in all respects, the reverse of each other. Rinaldo, under a total defect of exterior cultivation, possessed a most excellent understanding with every virtue that dignifies the human heart, while the other, beneath a most agreeable outside, with an inaptitude and aversion to letters, concealed an amazing fund of villainy and ingratitude. Hitherto his observation had been confined to a narrow sphere, and his reflections, though surprisingly just and acute, had not attained to that maturity which age and experience give. But now his perceptions began to be more distinct, and extended to a thousand objects which had never before come under his cognizance. He had formerly imagined, but was now fully persuaded, that the sons of men preyed upon one another, and such was the end and condition of their being. Among the principal figures of life he observed few or no characters that did not bear a strong analogy to the savage tyrants of the wood. One resembled a tiger in fury and rapaciousness, a second prowled about like a hungry wolf, seeking whom he might devour. A third acted the part of a jackal in beating the bush for game to his voracious employer and the fourth imitated the wily fox in practising a thousand crafty ambuscades for the destruction of the ignorant and unwary. This last was the department of life for which he found himself best qualified by nature and inclination, and he accordingly resolved that his talent should not rust in his possession. He was already pretty well versed in all the sciences of play, but he had every day occasion to see these arts carried to such a surprising pitch of finesse and dexterity, as discouraged him from building his schemes on that foundation. He therefore determined to fascinate the judgment, rather than the eyes of his fellow-creatures, by a continual exercise of that gift of deceiving, with which he knew himself endued to an unrivaled degree, and to acquire unbounded influence with those who might be subservient to his interest by an assiduous application to their prevailing passions. Not that play was altogether left out in the projection of his economy. Though he engaged himself very little in the executive part of gaming, he had not been long in Vienna, when he entered into league with a genius of that kind, whom he distinguished among the pupils of the academy, and who indeed had taken up his habitation in that place with a view to pillage the provincials on their first arrival in town, before they could be armed with proper circumspection to preserve their money, or have time to dispose of it in any other shape. Similar characters naturally attract each other, and people of our hero's principles are, of all others, the most apt to distinguish their own likeness wheresoever it occurs, because they always keep the faculty of discerning in full exertion. It was in consequence of this mutual alertness that Ferdinand and the stranger, who was a native of Tyrol, perceived themselves reflected in the dispositions of each other, and immediately entered into an offensive and defensive alliance, our adventurer undertaking for the articles of intelligence, countenance, and counsel, and his associate charging himself with the risk of execution. End of chapter 10